From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders of the 3D printing industry. When you buy an additive machine, you don't just buy an additive machine, put it in your facility, and it starts you know, cranking out parts. You need to have someone who understands the material that's about to come in so that you can spec it out and order it. You need to have someone who understands design so they can get the parts, put them on the platform, slice the file, upload it to the machine. You need to have an operator for the machine. That's Chris Prue. Chris is a change agent and engineering leader. He's currently the Applications Development Manager at United Performance Metals in Hamilton, Ohio. And Chris has over 11 years in the additive manufacturing industry and has experienced machine and process development across several OEM platforms. He also leads teams in the startup of agile project management practices, deliver collaboration and transparency. His passion for materials and research allows him to grow within several dynamic teams. Chris resides in Westchester, Ohio, and outside of the office enjoys the outdoors and growing hot peppers to turn into spicy powders or hot sauces to share with everyone who has a curiosity. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Uh, excited to have, have you on, and I think there's going to be a lot of discussion around uh, your career and all the material stuff that you're working on. So I um, want to just start with, uh, like we do with everybody else, kind of where you're from, kind of where'd you grow up, um, kind of what got you on the path to where you are now in manufacturing. Um, Mike, obviously um, excited to be here too. I think we've, we've talked for a number of months now. And so it's, uh, it's great to, uh, to join this. So, I mean, not to go, you know, all the way back, but I will go all the way back. So, I mean, I grew up uh, outside of Hartford, Connecticut and, you know, spent my childhood there. And when I got, you know, ready to go to college, basically just kind of said, I'd like to go somewhere that's not around here. Uh, so I ended up in my first foray into the Southeast at Clemson University, which surprisingly, I'm not actually, I don't have any Clemson gear on today. Normally, if you see me at uh, any of the additive shows, or if you've worked with me, you know that I wear a lot of orange and purple. That's um, not Georgia red, so, is it? No, no, this one today is Red Sox. So yeah, this is, uh, that, that's my that's my other passion of growing up in New England. Uh, is is having the Red Sox break my heart year in year out. So uh, you know, except when they they win here and there. But when I when I got to Clemson, I got involved into materials engineering, and you know, just really heavy into ceramic and glass processing, which you know, I mean, like say, is a passion. You know, a lot of people who don't understand ceramics, they'll just kind of say, "Well, it's just dirt. What's the problem here?" You know, and it's like you know, metals are where it's at. You got to be in metals. So uh, <laughs> took that. And, you know, made a career out of basically ceramics for a while. So um, ceramic forming, spray drying, uh, pressing, tool and die design, uh, and then ceramic to metal brazing. Uh, so basically trying to just, you know, join dissimilar materials. And then later on got, you know, basically brought on uh, down at G Power when I was in Greenville, South Carolina. So um, kind of moved around a little bit. And ended up back in Greenville, South Carolina, not far from from Clemson for a number of years. And within GE Power, uh, got into a project that was working in castings, trying to look at, you know, and there's the, the GE patent for it, but, you know, the disposable cordite. It's basically trying to come up with 
next generation designs for the internals for uh, gas turbine blades. And so that was essentially then using additive as the vessel for that to be able to inject ceramic back into and create that pattern that could then be cast. That was really the first piece into it. After that, um, I got involved in a, a testing project where we needed to get a demonstrator rig quickly. And so I got turned on to, you know, this small company in Cincinnati, Ohio, that people knew about Morris Technologies, where they had this revolutionary DMLS process at the time or DMLM or, you know, whatever we like to call it nowadays, <laughs> powder bed fusion. And, you know, essentially got a, an intro into, you know, what they're doing and how they were able to do it and quickly be able to, at the time for us, you know, just create some rapid prototypes, but then a foray into understanding how well you can use this tool to be able to design, you know, kind of the, the new features to be able to enhance products that are already there, but then also launch new products. So that ended up moving me to, uh, G aviation for a number of years. Uh, so worked uh, much within the, the casting world there, uh, looking at next generation designs, but then also, you know, 3D printing technology within the, um, you know, within the SLA realm, within the wax printing realm, and just trying to understand the limitations of those machines and basically push them, you know, push them to their absolute limit. So one thing I think I've tried to say for the last 10 years is, as I've gotten an additive, I've tried to promote additive to its highest level. And I don't know what that is. It's a rather ambiguous term, but you know, it's the idea of, I think it's a powerful tool, I think in the right hands. And for those who know how to use it, they can benefit greatly from it. I don't think it's for everyone. Um, I mean, in fact, I think um, it was at uh, the AMOD conference this year, I believe uh, Paul Gradle from NASA gave a, a very good presentation, but he started off with, if you don't need additive, don't use it. And it kind of stunned the whole room to sit there and go, wait, what, you know, but you're here talking additive. So, and again, he's just trying to say the same thing. It's not for everyone. So if you need it, you know, absolutely. It's a great tool, but if you don't need it, don't just try to force fit it into what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So one, yeah. One, thing, so, <laughs> uh, one question I did have, I mean, before we go too much further. So a lot of yeah, folks yeah. that listen to this aren't necessarily materials engineers. So you want to just kind of give a little bit of what it's ceramics 101 kind of what do you mean when you say ceramics people think of like clay plot pots and things like that like how is it used in an industrial space and kind of what's the what's the benefit versus a, a metal or a plastic oh absolutely i mean so ceramics i mean it it does start basically at the mining level so i mean it's it's you know it can be a mined product that's formed i mean and so you can have anything simple from a brick to a toilet up to i mean space you know tiles that go on the space shuttle i mean the biggest piece of the ceramic you know alumina ceramic is one of the hardest materials on earth it can also be very brittle but basically also it doesn't conduct a lot of heat and also it becomes an electrical insulator in many cases so a lot of the applications that i've worked on have either been heat dissipation or electrical insulation so you're creating you know for example aircraft thermocouples so you have you know, two or multiple leads that are trying to read temperature, but basically that signal has to be passed through in a clean way. So there's a ceramic insulator to make sure that it doesn't short out onto a vessel so that you get a clean signal to get the, the temperature reading. Now, I mean, ceramics go into, you know, if you read about in the news, I mean, now they talk about silicon carbide composites, you know, so now they're going to have 
basically lighter, stronger pieces that go into the aircraft. They're going to have better cooling features. You may even get to a point where you don't even have the need for internal cooling anymore, which is a complete disruption. Within, you know, within what I've done, it's the study of understanding inputs versus outputs. So when you get a raw material, what is, you know, what is it? So how do you characterize it? How do you classify it? How does it fit within your process? Statistically, you know, how is it, how is it going to, how's it going to work, you know, in terms of all of your other preceding lots of material before it, you know, how do you minimize the variation? So, I mean, it has a lot of common themes to, I think, almost anything that I've done, uh, but it was entirely based in ceramics without a lot of metal background. So getting into metal additive later on, I mean, became a little bit of a challenge to understand that, but very similar, micro, you know, understanding microstructures, grain boundaries, you know, within glass, there are no grain boundaries to an amorphous material. So, you know, similarities, but, but differences as we, as we see it. And as you were making this transition kind of, I mean, throughout your early career and kind of getting into metal additive, what were, mm-hmm. what were some of the kind of job roles that you were kind of tasked with? Were you like doing long, long-term R&D? Were you running machines? Were you doing design? Like all, like <laughs> what, what sort of things like in the, like a day-to-day life kind of early on when you so, were looking at metal Absolutely. AM? Well, so a lot of my a lot of my career has been spent process, uh, process process development, uh, a little bit within design and solid works. Um, you know, especially when I was doing the ceramic to metal sealing, but mostly all hardcore process. Um, when I started GE, I actually came in though as a Six Sigma black belt, so problem solving process, if you'd like to say, but utilizing you know statistics and mathematics to be able to you know to solve complex issues. But, mo- you know, most of most of it has been that cross between material and, and process uh, is what I've done. I've been able, though, basically to have the experience and the, you know, fortunate capacity to work with processes from their infancy, say, in an R&D invention process all the way through to full scale production. So one thing that I always feel is a strength is that I've had that exposure. I think a lot of folks have been very much at the invention stage and not at the production stage. And I've, I've seen, you know, kind of cradle to grave on some of these projects. So it's, uh, I have a pretty good idea, you know, when I'm going through something, what it should look like. Now, again, that vision is going to change along the way time and time again, but, you know, it's, it's good to have that, that kind of depth or width of experience, if you'd like to say, so that you kind of understand what it takes, because I think a lot of people at the invention stage, you know, they are very proud of their invention, but they don't understand why it just can't be, you know, scaled up quickly, you know. And so there's a lot of hurdles they have to overcome to be able to to get a process to produce at a high capacity. And when you're thinking about metal additive, kind of over your career, and we'll kind of get back to your career story. As, yeah, as yeah, well. yeah, you're fine. In uh, from that standpoint of of scaling it to manufacture, kind of what are some of the big hurdles that you faced early on and you probably even still face today and kind of moving a, a product or a process into manufacture, into production? I mean, you know, the, big, the biggest thing I always, I always say, and everyone says it, is it depends. So, I mean, it's going to be a lot of times dependent on industry. Um, I mean, obviously, I'd say aerospace and medical have some of the highest hurdles to getting a product, you know, say qualified 
you know, as far as the interest in it, it is very high though. So, I mean, there's still a lot of experimentation going on there, but really, I mean, it's just going to depend, you know, some people have some very hobby applications, you know, for metal additive. And so they have smaller machines and they, they really have no barriers to entry whatsoever. I think it's just coming up with the design. I still go back to the design DFAM, you know, that's one of the biggest keys right now that needs to be put out there for folks, because I think a lot of people just need to understand what it can, what, what a metal machine can and can't do. And that's going to depend based on the type of machine, whether it's a DED, whether it's powder bed, you know, whether it's a, you know, a large machine, a small machine, whether it's a binder jet machine, you know, what are the limitations? And so how do you make that happen? But also it's understanding your product and your process, because I think a lot of times when we go to people, we, we tend to ask them, what's your biggest problem? You know, and they say, well, I can't get these parts. Well, I mean, and they, they come to you with say just a standard part. I mean, I'll just, you know, think of a cube. They're like, can you make some of these cubes? It's like, I can do that, but you're not, you know, it's going to be more expensive and really you're not going to get any benefit out of it. You're just going to pay more, but yes, I can get them to you faster. And so some cases faster is key, but I think when we start the education process now and unlock the benefits of design for additive and we come up with the limits on these machines, we're going to really start to see it open up quickly because it's going to be intuitive to people. I mean, that's what I think about as we talk about my story you know, I, I didn't come up, you know, they're, they're added to manufacturing by the time I got out of college was it's, I don't even know if it was in its infancy yet. I mean, it was, it was a thought I'm sure, but now, I mean, the kids that are going through schools, I mean, I, you know, I've got kids in middle school and I mean, they, they've got added machines, you know, right there in the schools. So they're getting this concept. The library, local library here has a maker space now. I think it's amazing. So they're getting to see it firsthand what it can do. I mean, granted, they still just want to make toys with it. And well, let's face it. I know those of us in the industry have all made toys with it too. So <laughs> I mean, it's going to happen. But, you know, I think that that's one of the biggest keys into this scale up piece is understanding what it, you know, what you need it for and where it's going to take you. And then how many, you know, what your long-term business case for it is. Because as these machines keep getting bigger and bigger, obviously they get more expensive. And so your business case then becomes a little bit more complex. But again, if you're going to need it, invest in it. Make sure, make sure it's the right size for what you need. And so let's continue on kind of with your career. Career, I think we left off at GE kind of in that, in that <laughs> okay. space. So let's, uh, let's yeah, so, uh, continue on. You know, I mean, to, to, to kind of go with that, you know, GE, um, I had, you know, I had roles in, Thermal spray coatings, which, you know, we could call maybe the original additive, you know, basically building, you know, bonding two dissimilar materials on one another, and basically trying to build them up. Uh, that really kind of became my education in metallography after that um, from a, you know, coding interface standpoint, but then also from understanding, you know, the surface treatment of metal parts to understand how well they would accept the coating. Uh, then again, some time into GE additive. Uh, you know, working with the with the binder jet team there. So again, you know, working through a couple of generations of machines that they're that they're looking to launch, uh, and then you know, also great exposure to you know their their concept laser and and RCAM platforms as well, uh, which then got me over to uh, Adup, which uh, basically uh, here in Cincinnati is looking to launch their their North American headquarters. You know, and basically. 
worked with that team over there building out that facility from basically a blank floor space up to a facility that I believe they just had their their kind of grand opening a couple months ago. So, I mean, they've got six powder bed machines and two DED machines under roof now. And, uh, you know, the capability to be able to do part qualifications and then be able to have, you know, kind of like a customer showcase center. So, um, you know, within that role and even within the GE additive role, we had, you know, kind of a leased space that we were looking to build out, build up. Um, so that's kind of been the the focus. And again, that piece of let's take something from off the ground to full-blown production, you know, that's where I come in. That's where I really have the the passion and the excitement to see. And and so let's talk about kind of the add-up situation. So, I mean, for those who aren't mm-hmm. familiar with with that company, you want to just go a little sure. bit more detail into kind of what sort of products do they, they sell, kind of what's their uh, differentiating yeah, so, factor in the market? So, yes, add-up... Adup is a is a joint venture uh, in France between Michelin and Feed, which are two, you know, obviously very well known companies, large companies. Uh, you know, Michelin basically going into, you know, producing tire molds and you know realizing that additive can help do that faster and with less costs and with greater iteration. So they in I believe it was twenty I forget the history now but yeah it was like twenty fifteen you know just they formed they formed Add Up and they started again building their own uh, powder bed fusion machine so essentially with that um, you know trying to enter the market space with a with a two laser machine uh, but the idea was you know a little bit bigger build platform um, and then also you know the ability to develop you know material parameter sets for them to be able to offer in the marketplace. The other piece of that is they acquired a DD company called Beam. So I think a lot of people know Beam, not, not Beam It, but Beam. And because uh, if you've been to the trade shows, you've seen their, their bright green uh, out there. But now I believe that's all merged under Adup. So um, again, the, you know, the, the Beam DD system, you know, again, with combined with a powder bed system, opening the idea of, you know, looking at potential hybrid additive. I don't believe that's, you know, a, a route that they're, they're going yet, but I mean, it's just the idea of having it available uh, and at least having two technologies under one roof to be able to complement each other. And, you know, again, their ability now they're, you know, they've sold uh, very well over in Europe. And so to enter the North American space, you know, the feeling was, you know, to get a shop over here and get it up, get it up and running. And they've got a fantastic team over there right now that's, that's doing that for them. And so they are, you know, focused in a couple of different areas where they're trying to, you know, obviously try to sell machines, but then, Last year launched their new four laser system that is a, a kind of a closed loop system. So you put the material in, it's completely inerted, and it just kind of continues through the whole process without having an operator having to be exposed to it. And so we've had at this point, I think we've talked to all the main, uh, talked to Renisha and people from SLM and mm-hmm. EOS and, uh, on the on the show, and and I always like, like to ask kind of the the question about the there's this dynamic, especially with some of these pieces of equipment that, I mean, they're hundreds of thousand dollars, if not kind of low millions of dollars. And, and there's a, uh, this learning curve that most customers need to go through to get to a point where they feel comfortable making that investment. So in terms mm-hmm. of, of how, how are companies like Adup still thinking about kind of that education piece and the balance between, okay, we're just going to print parts for people. Maybe that's enough versus kind of getting them to a point where they're, kind of supporting the yes. business model make buying a buying a system right well I, and i and so and that's i think that's the point and so for the north american case that's that's the whole point of it is having 
um, you know, a showcase center where you can bring in customers to have them view the machine, train them, have them understand the service aspects of it, obviously get them some demo parts to where they feel comfortable that the machine can produce what they need, but, you know, basically interface and have, you know, a direct line to the folks that are going to be working, working on your parts uh, versus, you know, sometimes now a, a more distributed network where you might have a machine here, but the application engineer is here. You know, they're trying to put it all under one roof so that it's very simple. Uh, and then from a customer service standpoint, basically just having those be the same folks that you that you work with. So basically one centralized area to have that um, and, to, and to kind of have that training. Yep, for sure. And so, um, so you're wearing a number of hats at, at AdUp, kind of what was the, the next step in the career? So from yeah, well, so I mean, from from AdUp, uh, I went over to uh, Beehive Industries, and so Beehive, another uh, startup in the additive space. Um, you know, obviously, I had uh, some former friends over there from GE as well that uh, kind of started that up. And so, I mean, again, very exciting. Uh, looking at again, same that going back to that same piece, advancing additive to the next level. So, what are the needs in the industry? Um, Beehive went ahead and made some some acquisitions to help kind of grow in the additive space. But then also, you know, how do you look at customer needs within certain industries and help go in with that design for additive mindset and kind of show them why, you know, why they need additive. So it's a little bit more on the education side, but then being able to get people comfortable with it. So I, I sometimes equate additive to, you know, again, dipping your toes in the water, you know, you're going to do that before you just kind of jump right on in. So, um, you know, very good team over there and, you know, working on just advanced additive applications. I mean, really trying to, uh, to change the game. And so, you know, within that, I mean, it's almost like a similar story. Uh, you know, small facility, building it out, adding machines, ading equipment, making sure, you know, we're trying to, attra you know, attracting talent. I mean, that's another key at, at AdUp. I think I was employee number five at that site. And, you know, by the time I left, there were over 20 folks. So, you know, again, trying to find talent in this marketplace right now, it's there, but it's a very volatile marketplace also. So, I mean, a lot of times I've had, you know, I've had folks that, they're interested. They go through the interview. We love them. We send them an offer, you know, hear from them for a week. And they're like, yeah, I just took another offer. You know I mean? It's like people are getting multiple offers in this case right now. So it's a, you know, still an employee marketplace, which is, you know, which is kind of cool and advantageous. Um, but again, with that line, you know, I, I continue to evolve where it's like, I like the idea and then my passion is around growing business, working to take something that is small and make it larger. And so hence now, um, you know, I'm here week one at uh, United Performance Metals in their, in their additive division, but it's a 360 because I mean, it is now services focused versus just parts focused. But the mission here, I mean, again, is who can we be to our customers? And we have a wide base. The number one thing we do here is build plate manufacturing. So I think as all of the European machine manufacturers, you know, sold their machines in the US, you know, that's great. But now what do you do with these heavy build plates? Are you going to ship them over, you know, ship them all overseas? You're going to wait for them in customs or, you know, can you find a place that's going to be able to make the build plates for you, you know, economically and then be able to ship it domestically? So we kind of become a, you know, a US source for that. On top of that, though, 
looking at how else can we add value. So we got into bill plate refurbishment, wire EDM, um, you know, in, inspection. We're looking at expanding out, you know, potentially into, you know, to heat treatment, part finishing. Um, you know, right now we're looking at the idea of, you know, holistically, can we do bill plate inventory management for people? So, you know, not only can we make the bill plate, we'll serialize it, we'll make sure that we know how many times it's been refurbished, give you all the, keep all the quality metrics on it. You know, so it's, it's looking at how can we kind of fit in where, you know, you have part producers, you have machine producers. What are the things though, that maybe aren't their expertise that they need someone to come in and do for them and partner with them. And that's an exciting place. So, I mean, this is, uh, you know, maybe about a year and a half old now, and it's, it's going to continue to grow. And it's, you know, again, backed by, United Performance Metals is a very large company, part of O'Neill Industries. So, um, you know, a lot of knowledge within the metals, you know, working industry. And so the availability of the metals out there, you know, really makes it a perfect fit and a complement to that business. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting uh, model. I've actually been thinking about that a lot over the last few weeks in terms of certainly on the post-processing size and all these ancillary kind of pieces of the, especially metal process that are involved. So, I mean, um, uh, you may know, you probably know Craig Beaumier. We had him on a couple of weeks ago and talking about moving and, and this whole, whole aspect of it's not done once it comes out of the printer. And so you, many companies (laughs) have this kind of decision point if they're like, it's one thing to go buy a printer, but then you may have to look at, furnaces and hipping and depending on the application so i mean how are from from where you're sitting now kind of how are, how are you seeing that are, are most people thinking about okay we want to bring all of this in some cases pretty expensive equipment for post-processing and heat treatment in-house or are they still looking or are they looking to, to have someone outsource that and, and do it for them like what's what's that balance that that you kind of see in in the in the market these days so I, I in my opinion, it's it's a mixed bag um, because it depends. And I say that again. But right now, I mean, a lot of your a lot of your smaller companies that, you know, again, as, as and as you alluded to earlier, when you know, when you buy an additive machine, you don't just buy an added machine, put it in your facility and it starts, you know, cranking out parts. You need to have someone who understands the material that's about to come in so that you can spec it out and order it. You need to have someone who understands design so they can get the parts, put them on the platform, slice the file, upload it to the machine. You need to have an operator for the machine. So again, in that case, as a small company, when you've gone ahead and made that investment, you then have to ask yourself at this volume, do I want to turn around and have a machinist, you know, or some, you know, someone who can operate the wire EDM, someone who can operate a mill, some, you know, or do I need to just find a source that can help me with that until I get to a point where, you know, I can make a business case for it. And that's the real key. So I think you're, you know, some of your larger folks, I mean, obviously, yeah, they're going to bring that in house because it's about turn time. It's about cost, you know, it's about controlling your own destiny. But I think for, you know, the smaller folks right now, that's where I think we, that's where I think we fit in. But there are a lot of other companies that are also procuring additive parts that, you know, still don't want to go through kind of all the mess of it. So, I mean, again, that's where we come in to be able to help them because we, we have a lot of those contacts. We can help steer them where they need to go. 
So, I mean, that's, as I say, it's not a definitive answer, but it, it really is. It's, it's all about the business case. And so, I mean, if you can, you know, our point becomes, hey, we've made the investment. We have wire EDMs, we have mills, we have grinders, you know, and we have the, the folks in-house with that expertise already. If you don't and, you know, you need help, that's, that's where we come in. And, and then uh, also, I think yeah. we're willing to listen to folks, too, to say, what else do you need help with? You know, is it going to be powder management? Is it going to be heat treatment? Is it going to be, um, you know, take, you know, not necessarily scrap metal, but I mean, again, with United Performance being such a large metal supplier, you know, what can we do with scrap metal to be able to just kind of help that? Uh, because at some point, I mean, there is, there's a large ecosystem problem with this now with all this metal going through. I mean, granted, there are a lot of great companies out there now too, taking in metal, refurbishing it, making it into usable powder. I mean, it's a green, sustainable way. So, you know, how can we, how can we help be a part of that as well? And I'm, I've been asking people this the last few episodes, but like, what do you, what's your definition of uh, big versus small in terms of a, a 3D printing operator? I think of like, for me, kind of like the, like one to two machines, kind of the production metals machines. That's I, I kind of term small. Once you get three or four or above, that's kind of where I think the it, it scales a little bit differently. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I would I would put it in terms of I don't even know if I'd say number of machines, but just utilization. So I mean, if you're utilizing your machine, say you know eighty to ninety percent of the time, and you you know even if you have one machine. I mean, you're going to go through a lot of build plates. You're going to go through powder changeover. You're going to go through consumables, um, you know, versus if you, if you have, if you have one small machine in a, and I'm not picking on tooling shops, but you know, if you're just doing one little machine in a tooling shop for prototypes, you're not going to have that, you know, you're not going to have that need yet for that. Um, I mean, you know, you could classify it in volume of business. Um, you could classify it in, you know, yeah, number of machines. I mean, obviously there are just gigantic factories right now full of machines. I mean, in fact, you know, here in the Cincinnati area, there, there are several uh, that are very exciting to see. And, you know, I read more about every day, you know, new ones coming online. And I mean, now really you've got a lot of the space companies now heavily investing in machines. So it's, uh, you know, like I say, it's an amazing time to, to be in this industry and work with, innovative companies like that and work with them on, you know, what they can do. Because I think, again, a lot of the innovative companies have said, look, we thrive on innovation. We thrive on design. We don't want to handle bill plates. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's where I think, that's where I think it becomes the advantage is they say, look, we're, we don't need to hire anyone to do this. We know you guys know what you're doing. So just go do it. And so what's involved in, in that process of kind of working with the company on the bill plate side of things? I mean, are you, you kind of, send send them on demand kind of uh supply are you refurbishing are you doing all the above like you talked a little bit about kind of qualification <laughs> yeah. and um and traceability i mean what's involved in that and in, in, in maybe a little bit more detail for for those who are kind of getting that start on on additive and in the metal space well so i mean again and it goes back to like you said complexity of industry or qualification um, so, I mean, the idea of having a build plate, you know, you, you're, you're going to want to serialize it. You're going to want to know when it came in new, you know, how flat was it? What was the surface finish on it? What was the true position of the, you know, however you're, if you're bolting it or sliding it into the machine or, you know, however you're attaching it within the unit, uh, you know, you want to know where it started. And then obviously you're going to, you're going to build on it and then you need to be able to, you know, 
stress relieve it, cut a part off, and then you got to know what condition it's in after that because you want to restore it because you'd like to be able to reuse this investment as many times as possible. So you have to understand, has it warped? You know, has it developed any type of surface finish defect? Is you know, one of your, you know, one of your holes out of alignment, um, you know, have you have your, you know, are the, are the slots in it worn depending on which, you know, which machine manufacturer you, you are. So, I mean, where we come in on that, you know, is obviously we can, you know, build the build plate up from, you know, the bare metal to, you know, the print that's requested, be able to then go ahead and serialize that. And then again, with our, you know, with our inspection equipment, basically record all that quality data so that, you know, Every time you send it back to us, you have a measurement, you have a good life cycle on that, on that plate itself so that you understand if there are any issues in their process, you know, it could it be attributable to the build plate, you know, don't know, but you'll at least have the data to be able to go find that quickly and, and simply. Yeah, so that's for us, like I say, yeah. we'll build it new or, you know, we get, we'll refurbish it. If we didn't build it, we'll still take it and refurbish it. And it's so... It's so interesting to to hear that part in terms of all the different quality steps that are involved in uh, certainly production, right? You've got the the metal powder that's going into it, all your process controls, your hipping, heat treating, and you have to think about the build plate. So our our company's getting smarter about kind of thinking about the level of detail of build plates and serializing all of that information as uh, as the market matures a little bit and different industries are starting to adopt it more. I, I think so. I think it, as you get into to production, you know, and or full blown production, you are seeing the need for that. I think as the aerospace industry, especially, has qualified more and more parts across multiple engines and across multiple engine manufacturers. Now they see the need for that traceability because if there is ever an issue, you need to have that complete traceability. And I think they've realized that the build plate, although it is kind of a, you know, it's kind of a tool, but it's an important tool because it can have an effect on, you know, the start, the start of your build or the, you know, an effect on your parts. So it's, it's coming around, but again, I think there's still the folks that have kind of cross the chasm and are, and, are, and are there and additive. And I think there are those that are still kind of waiting at the edge, kind of wondering, you know, where it's going to go and if it's, if it's going to be right for them. So that's what still makes it, um, you know, an exciting, an exciting time to, to engage folks on all walks of life. Those that have been through it, done it, or are very mature at it. And those that are still, you know, trying, trying to find their way in it. So with that key, I mean, it's also, you know, helping, you know, helping them understand the, you know, the importance of, the process itself. And I think people are understanding that now. And it goes back to what I said with buying a machine, you know, now do you need to buy, a, you know, do you want to go buy a vacuum furnace? Do you need an air furnace? Do you want a hip furnace on your site? I mean, you know, that's a, that's a huge investment, but you know, again, what's your expertise and you know, how much do you need it and how much are you willing to pay for it? So that's where I think people again, have to have to make that decision. I think there've been a lot of presentations, you know, at a couple of conferences I've been at now talking about that additive supply chain and being smarter about it. So that's where we're trying to insert ourselves into those pieces of the supply chain that aren't necessarily the part design, the functionality or the delivery of, of parts, but more so those ancillary pieces that, you know, people maybe haven't thought about where we can kind of jump in with some expertise and, and be of assistance. And so you mentioned Cincinnati quite a few times in terms of, kind of being a, a major hub for uh, Skyline Chili, but also additive, it seems. Um, so you also had the visit from President Biden a few 
few months back. So you want to talk a little bit more about kind of the ecosystem around Cincinnati, what's kind of going on there and, and some of the exciting stuff coming down the pike? Well, I, I mean, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think within, you know, when you, when you look within Cincinnati, uh, you know, there's a lot of it here. And I mean, I, I started earlier. I mean, Morris Technologies, one of the, you know, one of the first metal 3D printers really in the U.S. That, that was that was right here. Uh, and then that got acquired by, you know, GE Aviation, which turned that into GE Additive. And that's also, you know, that's got a large presence here in Cincinnati. Then you've got Adup that also, you know, basically is within this area. Cincinnati Incorporated, you know, going a little non-metal for a moment, but Cincinnati Incorporated building their, you know, BAM and, and WAM printers. I mean, that's, you know, that's all here. Um, you know, the also offset of that, you know, then you have some of the service areas, uh, actually to the north of here, you have tangible solutions. I mean, huge in medical, I mean, doing a lot of medical. So within that and the presence of, you know, of a GE aviation and also just a large presence of traditional machining in this area, you know, it, it really kind of became a little bit of a headquarters. And then, you know, like say, and then also Beehive is, is, you know, is here in Cincinnati as well. So, you know, there's a reason these companies are tending to gravitate to this area and it's just due to the availability of the resources. And I think, you know, some of the maturity of, of the workforce that's here. So I think in, Maybe some parts of the country still, if you talk about 3D printing, they may not know what you're what you're saying. Uh, but I think as folks have been around now and they've been to, you know, say two or three different places, you know, they start to they start to know and they start to see it. And so I mean it's been amazing for me and and for my family to kind of, you know, keep a keep a career kind of local. You know, I mean, I know years ago when I said to my kids, I said, What's important to you? And they said, We don't want to move. I said, Okay, well, that may not always be the case, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> so, um, you know, for me, it, this area, like I say, it's just, it's just a hotbed of activity. So it's very exciting to, to stay a part of it, but also now engage in a more global aspect, you know, through, through what I'm doing here at UPM. Fantastic. And so kind of last question. Um, so as, as you reflect on your career a little bit over uh, in metal additive and kind of over the last few, several kind of years, I mean, what, what piece of advice do you give folks that are just starting out or thinking about kind of moving into the additive space? Is this something that's going to be around for uh, a number of years? Should they move to Cincinnati? Kind of what, what are their, uh, uh, what are some of the tips that, that you think are important to, to instill on kind of that next generation of, of people coming into the space? I, I mean, I think it. I think it starts with education um, and and asking questions. And I think it's you know understanding your need for it, why you need it, um, but then also finding the right educational platform to further further your journey. Um, you know, I mean, so to that piece around you know around here, um, you know, University of Cincinnati has a fantastic additive lab. Uh, Ohio State, you know, again, a lot, you know, a lot going on up there with their labs as well. So, I mean, again, even the state of Ohio, um, you know, I mean, you know, America Makes is, is headquartered in Youngstown, Ohio. So, I mean, again, we've got that piece here. That's why I think um, to, you know, that's why I think the president came here, uh, you know, to Cincinnati area, because like say it's a hotbed of activity and looking at the, um, you know, collaborative agreement, you know, in terms of trying to bring more manufacturing back to America, you know, this, this became a good area. Now, no, I wouldn't say to everyone move to Cincinnati. Um, you know, there, <laughs> there are many places you can go in this country and, and really learn about added manufacturing. But I think it's, 
you know, ask questions and, and just, you know, kind of look before you leap, you know, make sure you understand what you're doing. Don't just hit the go button on the printer and expect it to be perfect the first time. Um, you know, someone, someone I've worked with, you know, they had the, you know, basically just like the, 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 the build, you know, the failure bin or the build of shame, you know, or whatever. And other places I've been, you know, we've given out a trophy of just this failed build, you know, that's just like, okay, you get it today because here's the next one. So don't be discouraged. And, you know, again, continue to learn. And there are a lot of great resources. I mean, a lot of great resources out there. So, you know, utilize them. I mean, make sure you know, it's the right thing for you. Sure. And so, I mean, and, and coming up, I mean, the last part of the year, there's a lot of big uh, conferences and trade shows. Will uh, UPMB and any of those coming up? Yeah, uh, actually. So yeah, UPM kind of on the additive side just did their, did their first, you know, additive show uh, up at Rapid uh, that I think went really well. Um, there was a contingent that just went over to the Farnborough Air Show. So again, very, you know, one of the largest air shows. Um, and then, yeah, we are going to be at the IMTS show uh, up in Chicago. So um, I think as that's transitioned over the years, a lot more additive coming into that, say more traditional, uh, you know, tooling type conference. Uh, so there's a lot of folks that will be up there for that this year. And, and then, First time ever, we're going to go and we're going to exhibit at Form Next. I mean, so Form Next being like the, you know, 10 Costco's worth of uh, additive. I mean, all focused on additive. I I went a few years ago and the, for the first time and I mean, it was just huge. I could not believe that they could put that much in one place. So uh, always excited to go back there. Well, fantastic. And, and I'll see you around the industry. And, and thanks for so much uh, for joining the show today. All right. Thank you, Mike. You have a good day.